0: My name is Brian. It's I'm really glad to be here. This is my first time in um, in the RDU kind of general area. I've actually never been to North Carolina, which is strange, but i never have. I'm a born and raised Kentuckian. Uh, Kentucky's in my blood and it's in my heart. But I've never been to North Carolina. I've been to South Carolina, but never been to North Carolina. So it's good to be here. I have I have heard tales from afar from Louisville of the wonderful culture and the people here and the faculty and um, they were liars. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, being here. I just got in last night, um, so I'm happy to be here. So really, truly, my aim in this talk is to just encourage you. Uh, I just finished in December, so, and it was uh, a long slog. I started January 2012 and finished in four in a semester. Um, and so it was, uh, it was a challenge uh, mentally. It was a challenge physically. It was a challenge emotionally. Uh, it was a challenge spiritually. Uh, psychologically, just, just put challenge ad infinitum, and that is generally how um, it worked. The pursuit of a PhD, of the highest degree awarded in North America, um, it's a feat that not very many people in the world can understand. Um, some of that has to do, if you read stats, because so many people drop out. They start, they can't finish, they can't, for whatever reason, sometimes it's family, sometimes it's money, there's there's various factors for why that's the case. But there's not a lot of uh, solidarity or ability to speak solidarity to people outside of when you're in colloquiums, uh, here and now with, with friends and, and with colleagues. I had a friend of mine who, he was actually a reader on my dissertation, uh, sort of explain this to me in this way where he says uh, each week you, your mind will revisit questions that you've explored, things you've read. You'll think about the responses you've had or the responses you'd wish you would had, the things you'd wish you'd said better or the paper you'd wish you'd written better. Uh, you'll think about all the things you wish you could have read that you wanted to but didn't. Um, and this will go on for days and weeks and months And you'll oscillate, this is still my friend talking, you'll oscillate between varying levels of confusion and rage. (laughs) Um, Rage, uh, rage. Um, uh, But less than, you know, 0.01% of the world can have the slightest idea what a day is like for you, uh, or what a day has been like for you. Now, for many of us, compound that with marriage, families, jobs, ministry responsibilities, and this is 0.01% goes even lower. It's not just merely you're a PhD student, you're a dad and a PhD student. I have three kids of my own, seven, four, and two. And they were all born with daddy as a student. So they literally have no category for anything of, other than daddy writing and being a student and being miserable. Uh, um, so I want to come and talk for a few minutes, not long. Uh, on the other side of it, I just finished in December. Uh, and some practical, pragmatic, and that in the best sense of the term, don't shoot me for that one, um, that you can do during your process to try to make it more beneficial as best you can with, with the resources, allocations, and gifts that God has given you to be able to do that. I'm not going to belabor any of these. I'm not going to go into massive amounts of depth or exegetical precision with any of these. The reason why is because uh, I want to give you guys time. If any of these sort of prick you, or if your your conscience is pricked with any of these, you can ask me questions, and then we can sort of go into a little more in-depth dialogue in the questions and Q&A. But if you have any of those, I can expound on them. But my goal here is not so much to give you a sort of theology of the PhD, or a theology of the life of the mind, but really to give you a presentation that encourages that for many of you all, you're probably in colloquiums and seminars at this moment, and you are—I called it PhD brain, right? It's just uh, you're you're looking and talking, but you're not really here, right? You're and, and you're just sort of thinking either about you know you're you're going to come off of this and present something, or you just presented it and you're thinking about getting ripped, whatever it may be, or you're thinking about your wife, your spouse, whoever. Um, I just want to give you some simple encouragements uh, on, on the back end, okay? These are not in order of priority in the sense of the first thing I mentioned is the most ultimate. It's just the way that I, when I wrote them down, it's the way they came out of my brain, okay? They're just some thoughts that kind of came down as I was thinking through this in the last couple of weeks, okay? So the first one, the enslavement of comparison can crush you in the midst of this. It is entirely possible that you will write a terrible seminar paper. It is entirely possible that a classmate will write an amazing paper during that exact same seminar. It is entirely possible that this will cause you to doubt your calling, nay, your very existence as a human being, okay? Um, That happened to me the very first semester, the very first doctoral seminar paper that I wrote with my supervisor as the one leading the course. My paper was awful. It was just bad, and I just it was not good. And a friend of mine wrote one that was tremendous. It's still probably to this day, or at least the last time I talked to him, the one that my supervisor gives is the example of, here's how you should write a research paper. So at my lowest possible point, this friend of mine, who's, again, he's a good friend, and we're still good friends, writes this just bang-up job of a paper. And so I'm just sitting here feeling like Job in Arrested Development, like I've made a huge mistake. You know, like this is... What, what am I doing and how did I get here um, kind of thing. My encouragement to you in the midst of that, which may very well happen to some of you all, is to ride out the embarrassment, learn from it, take your licks and move forward. The process of a seminar for some of us who don't come in with a topic already in our brains, that was not me, um, is to try to feel out and figure out what it looks like for you as a scholar. And what topics you're you're interested in exploring. Some of you all may be coming into the PhD process going, there there are sort of three general avenues I'd like to study. And I'm not really sure which road I want to take. Depending on who your supervisor is and depending on how the PhD process works, you're going to have a couple of different ways that people are going to navigate you through that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But everyone, everyone, unless you're, you know, my friend who is brilliant, working on a PhD will feel this imposter syndrome kick in. Right. Have you guys seen the memes? I like social media on the internet. If you don't, then repent in and dust and ashes. But, um, but I'm just kidding. Laugh, please, on that. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, but there's this picture of a dog dressed like a construction worker. Have you guys seen this one? So it's this dog dressed like a construction worker. And it's this sort of the caption over it I have no idea what I'm doing. And so this is how most of us will feel a lot of times, I think, in the midst of seminars, in the midst of writing, in the midst of trying to get a hold of your discipline, whatever it is, and however it looks. Uh, You you will feel at various points like, what have I done? And what am I doing? And did I really spend money to feel like an idiot Uh, every day? Um, When you feel the weight of the literature bearing down on you, when you start to realize that you may think you have a good grasp on your discipline and you probably don't as much as you think you do, um, and it's started showing you, your research is starting to show you how little you really know, um, that's okay. Don't let that crush you. Don't let um, your friend who does well leave, um, alleviate you of an opportunity or remove you of an opportunity to encourage a brother or sister in Christ on how well that they've done, uh, despite how well you did not do, either for lack of effort or for tremendous effort. Who knows? Secondly, every Ph.D. supervisor is different. This is not an indictment, but it's a demonstration of variant personalities, right? So you may have a friend who is being supervised by someone else, and they're 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 meeting for coffee. He's emailing responses in two hours to papers and this sort of thing, and you're sitting here sort of checking your watch, going, I, "I'm waiting for my first comment from mine or or." Or you're not, you know, you're waiting a month to hear from your supervisor or two weeks from your supervisor or a week from your supervisor and your buddy over here is at Panera or whatever's over here. I guess Panera's over here. It's kind of everywhere. Um, or, or, or is at Starbucks sort of going through paragraph level by paragraph level with each student going this, you know, you need a, you know, you got comma splices everywhere and you're way too passive voice and you're kind of going, I want that, right? I want that kind of thing. Um, some supervisors will press harder than others. Some will offer potential theses, while others will make you read yourself into submission. Uh, where you say, I'm really struggling with a topic, and they respond, okay, just keep reading, or keep studying this, or keep thinking through this. And others will go, well, how would you think about this, or what would you think about that? Um, some supervisors will meet regularly with their students. Others will be available by, by phone or email. But these differences in themselves are not wrong, right? The differences in themselves. Now, how... How, how an individual, whether it's a faculty member or a student, responds to these differences is the issue itself, right? Try as best you can to not covet thy neighbor's supervisor. The Lord has providentially placed you here with this person and with this scholar. At this moment, it may not be clear as to why, <laughs> or if he actually is your supervisor or what have you, um, but trust his providence even if you cannot understand it at the time. Uh, John twenty one twenty through twenty three has been a really tremendous encouragement to me through this, where Jesus is speaking with Peter, and um, Peter sort of responds, looking at John and says, well, "What about him?" You know, and Jesus says, "If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. The path your friend has been set out, the Lord, the path the Lord has set out for your friend, looks different than yours. It always will, and it always has." But these differences are not a reflection of God's affection for you, right? It's not a reflection of, of his calling for your life. What is it to you that your friend gets a more involved supervisor than maybe you at the moment? Um, you are to follow Christ, and you are to follow him wherever that leads you, even if that leads you to a supervisor who's not combing every footnote of your seminar papers, Third, you will at some point be pressed into doubt, anger, and despair. Now, this sounds dark and brooding, like I'm an existentialist or something. But, um, but this is normal. You will doubt your calling. You will be angry at something. And sometimes, when and we'll talk about this in a minute, I think with some something Jamie and I'll talk about that anger can be can be a good thing, right? Um, we can sort of. We can channel that, I think. This is normal. You are not the exception, and it's likely that at least four or five brothers and sisters will feel the same way, probably at the same moment, maybe in the same seminar, maybe with the same book you had to read. Um, whatever it may be, do, uh, do not isolate yourself in those moments. Uh, talk with someone. Pray with someone. Uh, spend time discussing it with a spouse or a friend or a roommate. Take your pick. Don't isolate yourself in those moments. Use those as opportunities to process what's going on. Your doubt may be not so much doubt, so much as it is trying to sort of clarify questions that are being clouded with doubt. Your anger may be a good kind of anger, in the sense of you felt like you were walking in this direction for a year and a half in your PhD, and then something you read really makes you angry, and you realize you want to respond to this, but it has nothing to do with what you've done for a year and a half. That anger, I don't, that frustration and anger, something that makes you mad, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. This may be God's way of saying, focus here. If you're mad about this, you can actually make a pretty good dissertation out of something you're mad about. That's what, that's what I did. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's not something that you have to necessarily sort of run away from. Think, think through it. Be aware of your sort of emotional state in that way. When you imagine worst-case scenarios, and some of you all may be just sort of happy-go-lucky great people. Like, my wife doesn't ever imagine worst-case scenarios. I imagine nothing but worst-case scenarios. <laughs> so if if something happens, like if I'm, okay, so, so for example, when I was flying in from uh, Atlanta to Raleigh, I had like 10 minutes, uh, yeah, 10 minutes to get to my gate. And I was in A terminal, I had to go all the way to D terminal. And so I was like, there's no way, I'm, and I was like 30 rows back, and there's no way I'm making it the plane's gonna go off, there's not gonna be another plane, I, you know, there's not gonna be another plane for three days, I'm done, this is over, you know, this is, this is what runs through my brain. Um, so if you're a worst case scenario person, and you're imagining worst case scenarios related to the, this discipline called the study of a PhD, I just ask yourself this question, so what? And by that I don't mean sort of putting off or scoffing your concerns, but ask yourself, Go there for a moment in your mind If this happens, so what? Not as a scoff But as an evaluation of the current state Of your contentment So what if this happens? You know, does my wife love me any less Because I missed a plane? No Um, When I was preparing for my oral defense I was scared to death I couldn't sleep I actually developed ulcers Because I was such a nervous wreck um, and I had to constantly ask myself this question, right? What if I fail? What if I bomb this thing? What if they sort of tell me this is awful and you are awful and you need to leave or whatever, you know? Uh, so what? Are the things that make me fundamentally who I am and, and how God has shaped me, will those things change based on these circumstances? And my answer was always no to that, right? Right? My wife will not love me any less if I'm just a failed PhD student than a successful PhD student. My kids will not call me daddy any less or love me any less because of that. My family will not. My friends will not care. If they're really my friends, they will not care. Um, I will not be able to teach anymore, but I can find a job to take care of my family. right? So what? Imagine what that is like. If everything you're afraid of, you're going to be okay. And if your answer is no, then ask another question, why? And sort of investigate your heart. Investigate your contentment to imagine, are you going to be okay? If no, why? If yes, put your feet on the floor and take today as it comes. Don't imagine 10 years from now, 5 years from now, or don't imagine your old offense in your first semester. Okay, Just take a day at a time, a week at a time, a month at a time, a paper at a time, an assignment at a time. Walk in faithfulness today. Don't worry about walking in faithfulness as a doctor. I don't remember what point this is, but next. Love the pursuit of truth with no apologies and no qualifications. Don't apologize for loving to study. Don't apologize for loving the life of the mind. Find encouragement in the fact that the Lord has called you into his kingdom And then he has assigned you to the life of the mind. And, my friends, she does not submit herself so easily to Jesus Jukes. Um, A.G. Sertionge, I guess that's how you say it. That's how I've always said it. A.G. Sertionge, who wrote a book called The Intellectual Life, which I would highly commend you read, says this. Love, truth, and its fruits for life, for yourself and for others. I've read that book every summer since I started my PhD. And it has renewed me every time. Each chapter is different. Sometimes they don't, you know, one of them is on the life of a Catholic intellectual. Well, sorry, Viva La Reforma So I can't do that one. But, but, um, but, but there are plenty of really, really good insights and some really good uh, balm for the scholar's soul in that book that I would highly, highly commend you take time to read. Don't apologize or qualify your love for truth and learning and study. You are serving the church by being in your PhD cubicle or your office or wherever it is, studying away at things most of the world doesn't understand. And that you are not um, less evangelistic, less gospel centered, less whatever adjective you want to put there, or whatever moniker you want to put there. L- love the pursuit of truth, no qualifications, no apologies. This is your calling. Bask in it Walk in it, live in it to the glory of God. Next, find your rhythm. What do I mean by rhythm? Not we're not dancing. We're Baptists, so we can't do that. But some people work better in the morning. Others work at night. I'm I am I am way more of a morning person than I am a night person. You you, you try to get me to think at nine ten o'clock at night, and it's gonna be awful. I mean, I can tweet at nine because it's like. It's fine, but I can't try to write an article at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock at night. My wife, on the other hand, she's a late night girl. She can stay up till 11, 12, one reading and thinking and doing stuff she needs to do. I can't, I'm done at about 10 o'clock mentally. But I would much rather get up at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. when it's quiet, the kids are asleep, my wife's asleep or what have you and I can sit there at my coffee, ta- at my coffee table at my table with coffee I guess, whatever, in the morning with coffee and write and think and imagine and plan and outline and take this sort of thing. Whatever works for you, there's not a right or wrong kind of thing with this. It's all about the rhythm of the individual, okay? Others work with noise. I know guys who cannot work in quiet spots. They've got to go to a coffee shop with with ambient noise. Now, there there's apps now where you can do that and you can sit in your office with ambient noise. That's fine. But some people need that. Right. There's an app, which I think is actually a really cool app, called Noisly, N-O-I-S-L-I, which does ambient noise, but it does rain, wind. It's a pretty cool little app, so I use that when I was writing uh, a lot of times. But others need uh, what you might call a kind of sacred space, where um, I had friends who, when they were writing their dissertation, when they were thinking through their dissertation, they had to have a particular kind of room. And I know this, this sounds maybe a little bit sort of too, too like, Benedict, Benedictine monkish or something. But they had to have a sacred space, and there was a particular kind of, like, candle that sort of set the ambiance for when they were thinking about these things. And they had this sort of thing where they just sort of were welcoming the Holy Spirit to help them think through things. And that guy wrote a better dissertation than I did, so maybe I should have done that. Um, but, um, but he needed a sacred space, one where he knew he could think and think clearly and think well, and that there weren't kids trying to come in to give them hugs or or whatever. You know, it was a sacred space. Find your rhythm again. Don't apologize for it. If this is what you need to finish, then do it. Don't don't apologize for for a sacred space. That's not that's not a justification, husbands, to get a man cave for uh, for your house. But find your rhythm. Develop a master plan, if you want to put it that way, or a plan to master. That's probably a better way to put it. Develop a master plan. Uh, for the work that's before you. So, many of you are working, married, or children. Don't let the semester get away from you. Uh, ben Witherington at ETS a few years ago said this, and I've never forgotten it. He tells the students all the time, he says, don't use the Holy Spirit as a labor-saving device, um, or as an excuse for, for a labor-saving device, right? You know, well, the Spirit will inspire me. Well, yes, it will, but, you know, you got to do some work as well. Um, it... If you want progress to happen, there has to be deliberate action on your end. That means thinking, you know, I did this whenever I was sort of thinking and writing through the PhD process. I looked at total number of pages I had to read and total number of days I needed to do the assignment to finish. I gave myself three weeks before the assignment was due because I, I was working and children and I wanted to give myself a window. So I counted up total days, total pages, divided that and what do you get? page per day count for each, for each text. And I just did it. There's just, there's no, you know, there's no, I don't, I don't have an Augustinian quote from the confessions to tell you to do it. I just tell you to do it. You know, it's just find a way to get it done. Find a way. I mean, I, I I mean, I could tell you what he says in non-Christian teaching or doctrine. I don't know which one is the accepted phrase now among Augustinian scholars, if it's teaching or doctrine, but whatever it's, it came from that book where he says, um, uh, um uh if you if you sort of find within yourself this this love of god and love of neighbor this double meaning but but you have not sort of understood the second part then you haven't understood any of it at all so again i can give you there's augustine love god love neighbor go develop a plan but really you just have to do it you just have to find a way to get it done okay um next the dissertation will always be on your mind. There's just no way around that. Either either it's going to be on your mind, you're thinking about, oh no, it's coming up and I have no idea what I want to write on. Um, Or um, you know what you want to write, but you're frustrated. It's always going to be on your mind, okay? Instead of fighting that, find a way to channel it. In other words, take a notebook and a pen with you everywhere you go take, if you like phones and texting, then use Evernote or use something. Use something to write down your thoughts. Even if it's garbage, it'll sort of take it out of your brain for a little bit and and help your brain rest a little bit. Next, develop something that you can enjoy that is the only way I know how to describe this, that is mindless. Um, Some sort of enjoyable thing that doesn't require a lot of mental exertion. So exercise, video games, uh, mindless reading, fiction of some form, uh, sports, right, 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 you know, um, you know. and by mindless I don't mean it doesn't take effort, okay, I love literature, it's just, okay, whatever, I'm not getting into that. Um, like sports, sporting events, plays, theaters, movies, take your pick, something that's not gonna require you to sort of take careful deliberation of premises and conclusions and, and, and arguments and substance and contradictions and that sort of stuff. Anything that will help your brain to relax a little bit. I played golf a ton during my PhD and my budget hurt for it badly, but I needed every every single swing to survive. Yes, the dissertation and the PhD will still be on your minds at various points. That's fairly inescapable. But it will help to have something you can do that doesn't require a detailed outline for you to do it. Okay. Dissertation kind of stuff. This is just a quick couple quick points and then we're done. When you come to sort of solidifying a thesis, See if you can clearly state it in 150 words or less. If you think you can, then you've probably sort of, you've been able to sort of take away some of the fluff and, and th- throwing out words and phrases that are not needed. But can it be said in 150 words or less? What's the problem you've identified and what's the solution you're proposing? Okay, Two, three more and then we're done. Relax. Chill out just a little bit. Okay? Take it one day at a time. You're not going to beat this in a day, in a month, in a year, in two years, in three years. Maybe four. You're just not going to beat it. So don't try to beat it that quickly. Just keep plugging. Okay? When your seminar syllabi show up, take that semester one, one semester at a time. It will crush you if you think otherwise. Learn to outline. This helped me, it may not help you, but learn to outline your papers before you write them in seminars and in dissertations. Try to outline your texts. All right, last one. Develop relationships outside your tribe, your theological, philosophical, school tribe. Anyone who's been hired at all will tell you and it's not this is it this is the way the world works and you can either get mad at it or learn how to do it with integrity to get to know people because oftentimes the the entry door into a job is not your CV it's the relationships you have attached with your CV right no one's going to get a job that doesn't have the qualifications to get the job but if you know people who can Get, you know, get your name out to someone or get your information out to someone. This is why attending conferences, whether it's ETS or EPS for me as a philosopher, or, or various conferences that are related to your discipline, whatever it may be. Attending those, getting to know people, taking people to lunch, taking profs to lunch, taking other individuals to lunch becomes wildly, wildly important. Um, you can either sort of spiritualize that and get angry about it, or you can learn how to do that with integrity and to the glory of God. And if you do that well, I think many of you all will be surprised at how much you enjoy getting to know people, even for someone who's like an introvert and who needs his time with books and movies and not people. um, you'll, You'll realize how much you enjoy getting to know people sort of outside your own tribe.